The Apostle John wrote there, we read in the third verse, that by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, we know that we have life in Christ. And with that in mind, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. You're at the end of your Bible. Turn back to the beginning, to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus chapter 20 and we're going to be looking today at verses 4 through 6. That's the second commandment uh, of the Ten Commandments, a familiar passage, a familiar command of the Lord. But I want to allow the Lord to instruct us today in His Word on the idea of worshiping the true God. Worshiping the true God. We'll, we'll begin another um, exposition of a book of Scripture here in a, a few weeks. But we're going to take, uh, I think, three Sundays this week and, Lord willing, the next two and look at this idea of worshiping the true God, the idea of idolatry, and, and then look at some, some portraits in Scripture the next two Sundays after today, just kind of around and thinking about the idea of worship, and worship in light of a culture that, number one, hates and blasphemes God, and number two, hates and mocks and scorns those who worship the true God alone. In an age of falsehood and idolatry and confusion, it's vitally important that we have clarity and conviction on the topic of true worship. So with that, let's look at our text. I want to start at verse 1 of Exodus 20, just to set a little bit of context, and we will read through verse 6. So if you would and are able, please stand with me as we give attention to the reading of God's word. This word is inerrant, it is infallible, and it is holy scripture. It's written for our instruction and our correction and our training in righteousness. This is God's word. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. You may be seated. And would you bow with me and let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are the God and the creator of all things. You are exalted. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There are none who are like you. There are none to whom you can be compared. Lord, you are perfect, holy, and righteous in all that you do. You're perfect and holy and righteous in all of your commands and all of your laws. And Lord, we are quite the opposite that we are fallen we are sinful we are self-seeking we are easily led astray we follow after the course of the world uh, after the prince of the power of the air we were all at one time sons of disobedience depraved defiled deceitful Lord, you have made us alive in Christ Jesus. In your love, you have called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ if we will come to him in faith and repentance. Lord, how glorious is the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking our sins upon his shoulders, bearing that awful weight in our place. Lord, it's glorious good news. 
Father, what a hope it is that we have in Christ. What a hope it is that our sin has been defeated. Lord, I thank you that we are sheep of the good shepherd. The one who watches over and cares for our souls. The one who keeps and sustains and will one day bring us home. Lord, how can we neglect so great a salvation? How can we consider that glorious good news and not desire to worship you truly and purely and with all devotion? Lord, as we come to your holy word, our desire is that you would teach and instruct and rebuke and reprove and humble us. Lord, we also pray that you would exhort and encourage us. Lord, I'm reminded of the statement from long ago that the human heart is a factory of idols. And if idolatry springs from the heart, it's not only wrapped up in physical things, but it's wrapped up in the things that we are devoted to and give our time and energy to. So Lord, I pray that you would purify us. I pray that as we consider your word, that you would bring conviction upon us through the powerful working of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we must acknowledge that our mortal feeble efforts will fail if it's not for your help through the person and the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would come and put strength in in our stride, that you would give us grace for every hurdle. I pray that you would sanctify us in and by your truth through the illuminating and searching and convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are not up for the task. Plainly and simply, we're not. But you are strong. And you're mighty. Your grace is sufficient. Your power is perfected in our every weakness. Lord, how we long to worship you in perfect purity. How we long to put off the flesh. How we long to go to heaven to be with you. Lord, as long as you leave us on this earth, may we be resolved. May we do all that we can to honor and to serve and to worship you. Lord, you're so good to us. You're faithful. Your mercies are new every morning. Lord, if we know you, we will desire to keep your commandments. So that's my prayer today, Lord, that as we look to your word, that we would desire to obey it, and that we would give ourselves to it, not in a sense of moralistic or, or legalistic response, but because we love you and are devoted to your purposes. So would you work in and among us today, Lord, for your own glory, ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
I'm just going to jump right in because if we don't, if I, if I veer off course, we're not going to get through this today, so we're just going to jump right in. The idea of worshiping God, the idea of idolatry is something that's really, we can find a lot of work done on this topic going back to the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. That's kind of where you have one prevailing viewpoint of the idea of what is and what is not idolatry. So, so you have the reformers, and then following after them, the Puritans that really kind of set the edge on one end of the spectrum, and they would basically say that any image, whether it's a piece of art or, or even something as simple as a nativity scene, like a small nativity scene that you might set out at Christmas, the reformers and the Puritans would say that is idolatry. That is a form of worshiping an idol. On the other end of the spectrum, you have, I think, really kind of the other bound would be the Roman Catholics, where they have the crucifix, this little thing with Jesus still on the cross, still paying for their sins, that is really a staple of their worship. So that's kind of the two bounds that we have as we consider the second commandment. And as we consider the idea of worshiping the true God, but then there are also faithful, conservative, trusted evangelicals that if you were to say the Puritans and the Reformers are, are the far right end, they, they might be a little closer to the center, but, but definitely not to the end of the Roman Catholics. That w- would not necessarily say that some of those forms, like, like media or art or nativity scene, they may say that those are, are not idols, that, that having those things is not idolatry. And really what we have to do as we consider these ends of the spectrum, we have to look to Scripture. We have to let the Lord speak for himself because he has revealed his will in Scripture. He has told us that you are not to make for yourself an idol. Anything of any likeness of what is in heaven or on earth or in the water, and you should not worship nor serve them. So that is The goal today is to look at what the Lord intends to say and what he has said in giving this commandment. So you're likely uh, familiar with the setting of the giving of the Ten Commandments. But I want to just kind of reset that a little bit because it's helpful as we interpret the Scriptures to understand the original audience and why the Scriptures were written at that time. And so you have the people of Israel They've been led out of Egyptian captivity. They were in captivity in Egypt for generations. For some 430 years, they lived in bondage. But it wasn't just bondage that they lived under. They lived under a people who were pagan idolaters who worshipped many false gods. The Lord has crushed Israel's oppressors as he led them out. They crossed the sea on dry land, Israel did, and then when Pharaoh and his armies followed after, they were crushed by the water. The Lord has been a guide and a provider to his people. He has been their defender and their protector as he has led them on this exodus. Then he leads them out, and not long after he leads them out of Egypt, Moses, the people's leader, climbs Mount Sinai, and the Lord gives him the Ten Commandments. The Lord literally etches on two stone tablets his law for his people. This law, if we we think about it and break it down, there's Ten Commandments, and there's really two primary components. We can see it as we read them, but it's even made more clear when Jesus gives his commentary in the New Testament. That, that there, there, there are these two primary ends of the Ten Commandments, two tables of the law. One is how we relate to and worship the Lord, and the second is how we relate to and love the people the Lord has created. Our text obviously falls in the first table of the law, relating to and regarding how we love the Lord and how we worship Him. It's noteworthy as we think about this, to consider where Israel has been. Again, they've been in captivity. They have been bombarded with this false form of worship, this false form of religion. And the Lord is 
choosing and desiring to give his law in such a way that it draws his people out of that culture and whereby he sets his people apart as his choice people who will worship him alone. That's the dividing line between true followers of Christ and every other religion. It's that we worship the true God. So as the Lord sets forth his law, he does so to show his people that all of the pagan religions are false because they serve other and many gods. Have you ever thought about how the Lord's law is given not only to guard us from sin, but also to set us apart from the culture? Now, I have no intention for us to ever, Lord willing, become culture warriors, but do we understand that the Lord gives us His Word and His commands to keep us purified and separate and set apart from the world in which we live. We are to be in the world, but not of it. That is the Lord's command to his people. We must always remember that the Lord's word is sufficient and it's authoritative. Now, it's time to narrow down a little bit because... We could probably chase rabbits on this text and on this topic for, for, for quite a while. And I want to get through this in the next little while. So, so to narrow this down, our, our focus goal is to see that we must worship and serve the true God as he is commanded and as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. And in doing this, the Lord extends his eternal grace to us through Christ. You could flip that around and say that those who know the Lord's grace in Christ must worship him as he has commanded and as he has revealed himself. And as we think about this text, it breaks down in this neat fashion where where we can see the Lord's command, we can see the condemnation that comes if we don't obey that command, and then we can see the compassion that the Lord extends to us. In Christ. So let's look at verse 4 and that first phrase of verse 5, and we'll firstly consider the command explained. The command explained. The Lord says here, You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. So again, I want to make crystal clear because the Lord makes crystal clear that this commandment is about how we worship the Lord. That's what he says in verse 5. You shall not worship and you shall not serve. So the command of the Lord about idolatry is about worship and devotion and service. You think about, we talked about this a little bit Wednesday night in the men's group. When you think about the 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 Israelites in those days, all of the narratives, all that you see really weaving in and out of Scripture is around the idea of worship, that they would intermingle themselves with pagans and then they would be given over to pagan worship and the Lord would have to bring difficult things upon them to draw them out of that pagan worship and draw them back to this idea of worshiping the true God. And so that's what the Lord sets forth to do in these first four commandments. Literally, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. That command regards worship. We'll look at how the second commandment is is made in regards to worship. The third commandment says that we should not use the name of the Lord our God in vain. We must revere the Lord. That reverence for the Lord regards worship. Fourth commandment, you should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We are not, obviously, as we meet on Sunday, the Lord's Day, we are not Sabbatarians, but we understand as the Lord set apart that day and as we still have the Lord's Day set apart, that that command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy regards worship. So do you see and do you understand, and I hope you do, that these commands Focus in on worship. 
It's about worshiping the Lord rightly. Vody Bauckham, he was quoting um, in a sermon Dr. Bruce Leafblad, who was, I believe, a seminary professor years ago. And he gives this real succinct and helpful definition of worship. It goes as follows. True worship happens when we set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Lord, praising Him for who He is and what He has done. That is our duty in worship. True worship is when we set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Lord and we praise Him for who He is and what He has done. That's what the Lord is doing with the Ten Commandments, especially with this first table of the law. He's showing Israel, He's showing us today how to praise Him for who He is and what He has done. can't go forward without asking the question of all of us in this room, when we gather on the Lord's Day to worship, is that what we do? Is that what we do collectively? Is that what you, is that what I do as individuals? Do we set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Lord to worship Him by praising Him for His greatness, His character, His holiness, His righteousness, and praising Him for what He has done by sending His Son to die on the cross and take your sins so that He can redeem you. Is that what you do when you gather for worship? Or is it something else? Dear friends, if it's something else, we must examine our hearts. If it's something else, we must repent. We praise Him for who He is. And what he's done. So let's look at the command and just kind of break it apart a little bit. Uh, the Lord begins by saying, You shall not make for yourself an idol. Begins by forbidding any form of creating idols. It's so clear. The Lord is, is not wavering in what he says. You shall not. Not you probably shouldn't. Not you might want to think about it and and be careful. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make any type of idol for the sake of your worship. And we've got to tie in verse 5 and we'll get there. We've got to tie it in. But you shall make no idols. The Reformation Study Bible says that Israel is to be distinguished from the nation's by worship that does not make use of images of God. They're set apart and distinguished by the fact that their worship does not need any image or idol. The the quote continues, Images are forbidden not because there can be none, since God even made mankind in His own image, but because God must reveal Himself. You worship God as He's revealed. You don't worship a creation of your mind. You don't worship an image. You don't worship your kids' sports. You don't worship the blessings the Lord has given you in in this life. You worship the Lord for what He's done. Anything other than worshiping the Lord for who He is and what He has done is idolatry. Let's remember the Lord is setting apart a people for Himself. If you would be a people set apart for the Lord, a people for his own possession and his own, his own glory, you must worship rightly. This is not a pointless ego trip from the Lord. If, if you or I set apart any type of command like this, that is all it would be is selfish ambition and pride and arrogance and sin. This is the gracious kindness of the Lord setting apart His people to worship Him because He is the only one who is worthy to be worshipped. It's what the Lord does for us today. He draws us out of sin by His Word, through His Spirit, by His grace, and then He purifies us. He sets us apart. He gives and works in us 
this desire to worship and to love and to devote our lives to Him? Does your daily worship, because we worship corporately, but we understand that all of life is also worship. All, every moment of our lives is to be set apart for worship to the Lord. So does your daily worship show this distinguished, set-apart nature from the world? Does your life every day show the separation between you as God's child and the lost world around you? Or do you just live in, in accordance with the desires of your flesh? You shall not make for yourself an idol, any likeness, the Lord says, of what is in heaven or on earth or, or in the water under the earth. And then he says, we've got to move to verse 5. You shall not worship them and you shall not serve them. Again, make this point again. The Lord is separating his people out in how they worship. So when we think about idolatry, we can't just think about it in, in, on an island on its own. That images equal bad, but improper and impure worship without images is okay. No, it's images tied to worship and service. The Lord commands us not to participate in some things, and he commands us that we must participate in other things so that we worship him fully for who he is and what he has done. Tell me, dear friends, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God is to worship and to serve him alone. Our chief goal, our chief duty is to worship God rightly. Now, these two terms in verse 5 are very important, and, and they paint for us a clear picture, I believe, of what the Lord is commanding. The term worship speaks uh, of reverencing something, of bowing down in reverent worship, bowing down as we ought to before the Lord. Serve is a Hebrew word that often speaks of work or even of slavery. The, the first use of this Hebrew word comes back in Genesis 2, verse 5. It's at the end of this verse where it says that no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate, to work, to serve the ground. So this is, this is something that ties in the idea of activity. And work, as the word is translated, service, it's, it's physical expression. It's not just what is in the heart. The worship is what's in the heart, and then serve is that which is external. It's the heart's devotion paired with the idea of physical expression. Just a side note, as you think about work, as this term ought to point us to work, do you remember Colossians 3.23 says, to do everything, to do all of your work heartily as unto the Lord. Our work, especially speaking to you, dear brothers, our work is not to be an idol. It's to be worship. You worship the Lord by working hard and by doing your job well, but it does not run your life. It does not define who you are. It's an act of worship. Do it heartily. It's unto the Lord. Matthew Henry says here about worshiping and serving, he says, they must not bow down to these idols occasionally, that is, show any sign of respect and honor to them, much less serve them constantly by sacrifice or incense or any other act of religious Worship Again, you, you understand all those physical acts that came with Old Testament worship. And so the Lord says, don't worship them in your heart. And certainly don't give yourself to sacrifice and other forms of worship and physical expression 
to these idols. So let's just try to tie that together then. What is the Lord commanding? He is prohibiting the use of any idol or any image or any creation of man to enhance worship. And we have to be clear on what this means to rightly understand. It's the prohibition of anything that you would use to enhance your worship. So if, if you just, to give you, we, we could come up with a, probably a number of, of illustrations, but say you need a specific Bible to be able to worship. Let me tell you, friend, that Bible then has become an idol. Perhaps you say, I can only worship when I sing hymns that were written 500 years ago. That's an idol. That is a physical creation that is used by you to enhance worship. And you must put it away. Must put it away. Let's put this command then in the positive, because that's kind of the negative, that these things you must not use to worship. So what is the Lord saying? He's saying, as, as Christ would later put this in, in John 4, that we must worship Him in spirit and truth. We must worship the Lord as He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures. That's, that's the activity that we must pursue. The Lord has revealed Himself in so many ways in Scripture. We, we often can, can break apart the kind of the persons of the Trinity to see some of the revelations of God specifically. The Father we see as this grand and glorious and great and mighty and majestic being, one that our minds can't really comprehend. But we also must remember that in the latter days, the Lord has spoken to us by and through His Son. John 1.14 says that we saw Him. John says, we saw His glory. Glory of, as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, we beheld Jesus in His earthly form. Why was He full of glory? Because He was the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We worship the Lord for who He is, for what He has done. We worship Christ as the purifying sacrifice for our sins. That doesn't mean that we conjure up an image of a lamb being led to a slaughter, because that's an image. That would be an idol. But we think about what Christ did as the lamb who was led to the slaughter. We consider that the only way we come before the Father is because we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we worship and praise God for that advocate, for that intercessor. So a lot of what I think we ought to take away is that, yes, we must understand the negative. We must understand what the Lord tells us and we can't do what the Lord prohibits. But we must focus ourselves on what the Lord calls us to do. Worship the glorious Savior for what He has done and accomplished. Dear friends, there is no idol. There is no image. There is nothing under the sun. There is nothing of creation that can enhance your worship of the Savior who is revealed in the Scriptures. That's what we must understand we must trust and ask the Lord to reveal Himself and His nature to us and to allow us to praise Him for that. Now, we live in the day of the New Covenant. Right? This Old Testament law was given under really kind of the heading of the Old Covenant. Jesus, as we, as we mentioned earlier, He reapplied the, the Ten Commandments. In Matthew 22 would be one text that we could look at. There he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great 
and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands hang and depend the whole law and the prophets. This is not a cancellation of the Old Testament law. It is the fulfillment of it. That we avoid idolatry by loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right worship flows out of whole heart devotion to the Lord and to obeying what He has commanded. And we live in a day where if you want to stand up and stand firmly on the command to obey, you're going to be called legalistic. You're going to be seen as this hard-minded, rigid person. But dear friends, on the authority of Scripture, do you see that right worship depends on devoted obedience to the Lord? Because if you love Him, you will keep His commands. If you want to worship rightly, part of how you do that is through the heart devotion of obedience. So I want to get through the rest of the text, but I do want to pause just for a brief moment and think about a couple practical outworkings of this. I know we had the, this kind of, this message kind of sprung up when we did the chapter in Packer's book about idolatry. Now it's been a good while ago, but we, we had some good discussion in that time, and then even after that time, and a couple of things just to think about, a couple of common things that came up, at least in the conversations I was part of. And one of those is uh, the, the idea of like these children's storybook Bibles. You know, they, they have pictures, they, and they have some images in them to, to help tell the story of the Bible. So the question is, is that idolatry? The Reformers and the Puritans would tell you yes. Yeah, there's really no ifs, ands, and buts there. They would tell you, that we need to put those away, but I have to be honest, as much as I would never come up against those devout men of God, I don't think that's what the Lord commands. I think that is, is going a little bit further with the Lord's command because he says you shall not have these idols to worship or to serve. Now, parent, if you are showing your picture, if you got one of those storybook Bibles and if there's a picture of Jesus in there and you tell your child, hey, bow down and worship this Jesus, that's idolatry. But if it's just a picture to depict the story that's going on and you're teaching them the depths of who Jesus is and what he's done and saying, praise him for his work, the Lord says, that's not idolatry, that's true worship. The other conversation that came up was just kind of uh, maybe a little more general about things like movies and, and other media. You know, there's, there are TV shows, which you should not watch anyway because they're heretical, that, that want to depict the life of, of Jesus and his ministry. We can have that conversation if we need to another time. But the question is, are, are things like that? Or you think about the movie from, goodness, I don't know, 20 years ago, The Passion of the Christ. Are, are those things idolatry? And again, I would land on the side of saying that in and of itself is not because the Lord has revealed Jesus as a man. And, and so we have to understand if we gather to worship and when we sing in Christ alone, my hope is found. If When you say those words, Christ, Jim Caviezel's face comes up before you, then yes, we have a problem. But otherwise, if you're not worshiping and serving those images, the scripture says that you're not breaking the command. You shall not have idols to worship and to serve. Now, I say that, let me, let me kind of come to the other side of that too and say that if you are convicted by the Lord that something like that is idolatry, dear friend, if your actions do not proceed from faith, so if you're convicted of this but act in another way, Paul would tell us in Romans that that is sin. That which does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you have a conviction that you need to put away all of those things, dear friend, follow that conviction. If you want to make sure that your convictions are bound by the Scripture, certainly 
do that. But if you study the scriptures and you are convicted by the Lord through his word that you should not do something, do not do it. Think about things like entertainment, recreation, or the even something as trivial as partaking of alcohol. We understand that sometimes there is wisdom in saying, hey, this in itself may not be a sin, but I'm going to be on the side of caution. And so if you need to be, if you desire to be on the side of caution, do it, dear friend. That, that is biblical, godly, spirit-wrought wisdom as you seek to serve and rightly worship the Lord. The emphasis, though, I think has to be on what we pursue. I think that's the takeaway. The emphasis is on what we pursue, and that is to praise the Lord for who He is and what He has done. And the instructive source on both of those items are the Holy Scriptures. It's not a movie. It's not a book. It's not even a storybook Bible. Because sometimes those are are, are used in a little bit of a way that does not just follow the entire inspired focus of Scripture. If you want to worship the Lord for who He is and what He's done, go find out who He is and what He has done in your Bible. Then worship Him and then praise Him. So, next comes the question, why are we spending so much time on this? You know, if we're all kind of nodding our heads in, in agreement with, with this, why are we spending so much time? Well, let's look at the, verse, at the rest of verse 5 and see the condemnation of the Lord expressed, the condemnation expressed. Verse 5, You shall not worship them or ser- serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Do you see the graveness of that condemnation? The Lord says, if you don't rightly apply and understand this command, I will visit your iniquity on generation after generation after generation. Because he said, I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. We got to talk about the jealousy of the Lord Wednesday night, and that was a, a good and providential setup for this section. What we understand is that the Lord is jealous regarding the devotion of his people. The Lord is jealous regarding the glory of his name because he is the only one who deserves honor and glory. Again, if you sought honor and glory, it would be vanity. It would be arrogance, but the Lord deserves all honor and all glory and all praise, and he is jealous for that because that is right and good. Friends, we ought to be humbly jealous for the glory of God. We pursue that when we pursue devoted, singular obedience to his word. The Lord is jealous for his name and for his glory, and we support that jealousy, that righteous jealousy of God, as we pursue singular, wholehearted devotion to him and obedience to his word. So what's the Lord's response when the command is broken? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now let's be clear. Children do not pay for the sins of their fathers, and fathers do not pay for the sins of their children. Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen says as much. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. So then what is the Lord saying when he says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations? MacArthur gives a great answer. He said, the effect of a disobedient generation was to plant wickedness so deeply that it took several generations to reverse. 
a warning. It's a reminder to us. If you are to fall into idolatry, if you are to fall into some other path of sin, but especially because the Lord says it here, the idea of idolatry, that is not something that you just give yourself to in 30 to 40 years, it's over with and the next generation moves on. No, the Lord says that is often, not always, because the Lord can do as he will and he will break generational curses of sin in his great and kind mercy and grace. But you are playing with fire there. You are threatening the future generations of your family tree because you pursue idol worship. The Lord says they are likely to pursue the same. This is such a warning, parents. This is such a warning to those who lead in any sphere of life. We must be on guard against idolatry because it takes generations to overcome. So, so you, you come back and think, you know, why are we spending this time on this? It's because this topic is gravely, gravely important. Because if we worship the Lord wrongly, it takes generations to reverse. Sin has a lasting powerful effect but for the grace of God we should take care that we avoid such sins we should take care that we avoid idolatry both of the heart and certainly in practice so we've seen the command we've seen the condemnation but let's also think about the remedy the remedy the compassion of the Lord extended Verse 6, but he shows loving kindness to thousands. Loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Really, that's the what and the how of the remedy. The the what of the remedy is the Lord's loving kindness. It's the, the Hebrew word hesed. Steadfast love. It's covenant faithfulness. It's loyalty, goodness and devotion that is the lord's compassion extended it's faithful love that you do not earn or deserve you need nothing beyond the loving kindness of god for this life his loving kindness saves it sustains satisfies and it sanctifies dear friend when the world crashes in around you or when you are battling sin to a a great degree, walk in the covenant faithfulness, the covenant love of the Lord and allow the Lord to sanctify you with that love that he places upon you. In all of our striving to obey God's law, we must rest in his covenant faithfulness because it's the Lord who is able to keep promises it's not that that we hold to him it's that he holds us we're overcomers because christ overcame and we are in him how is this free and boundless love given says the lord shows loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments the love is given to those who love the lord and keep his commandments I want to dovetail off of that just a little bit to think about how are we able to love the Lord and keep His commandments. It's only through the person and work of Christ. We must love Him. We must seek to obey Him. But we must understand that in our own strength, all of those efforts fall short. If you are left to your own devices All of your good works are as filthy rags. There are none who are righteous. There are none who do good. There are none who seek after God. There are none who love him and want to keep his commandments. We're justified, Paul says in Romans 3, as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. 
you want to love God and keep His commandments so that you can know His covenant faithfulness, His loving kindness that He extends to those who He delivers from the condemnation of idolaters. It's to walk in that work of Christ. It's to know that Christ died on the cross and took your sins. It's to acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of great grace. It's to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. It's to repent of your sin, to turn away from that sinfulness and come to Christ for life. God being rich in His mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Dear friend, stand in that grace today. Exult in that grace today. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice because of the grace of God in Christ. The Lord seeks true worshipers, those who worship Him in spirit, and in truth. And the only way we are true worshipers and worship Him in spirit and in truth is if we're alive in Christ. We must put away every idol. And friend, I want you to know that idol is such a broad term. Again, it's not just a carved thing or an image. As Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. It's those things in your heart and in your life that take the place of God. We must put away every idol. By every idol, I mean every idol. Whatever it may be, you must put it away and praise God for who He is and for what He's done. You must walk in the newness of life that you have in Christ. It's all praise all honor, all worship, and all glory belongs to God and God alone. And this worship must be according to what He commands. It must be worshiping in spirit and truth for what He has done and the great and glorious and holy and righteous God that He is. May we strive to worship rightly, May we strive to worship in spirit and in truth as we walk in the everlasting love of God. Let's pray.